0: Welcome, everyone, to The Demand Side. I'm your host, Edward Brown. On today's episode, we're talking about the limitations of physical currency in the modern economy. Here to discuss is our very special guest, Professor Kenneth Rogoff. Professor Rogoff is the Thomas Cabot Professor of Economics at Harvard University. From 2001 to 2003, he served as Chief Economist at the International Monetary Fund. His widely cited 2009 book with Carmen Reinhart, This Time Is Different: Eight Centuries of Financial Folly, shows the remarkable quantitative similarities across time and countries in the run-up and aftermath of severe financial crises. His 2016 book, The Curse of Cash, which is what we will be d- diving into today, looks at the past, present, and future of currency from standardized coinage to cryptocurrencies. The book argues that although much of modern macroeconomics abstracts from the nature of currency, it in fact lies at the heart of some of the most fundamental problems in monetary policy and public finance. Professor Rogoff is an elected member of the National Academy of Sciences, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. The group of 30 is a senior fellow at the Council of, of on Foreign Relations and, and is among the top 10 most cited economic scholars. He is also an international chess grandmaster. Professor Rogoff welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Professor, we're, we're very happy to have you on the show today. Um, as as I said earlier, uh, we're going to talk about your book, The, the Curse of Cash. Um, a book everyone should should go out and, and get because it is such a, a great forward looking analysis of, of the limitations of physical currency. But Uh, Before we dive into some of the major arguments you outline in the book, uh, why don't we have you talk a little bit about why you decided to write about this particular issue?
1: Well, I actually first wrote about it virtually 25 years ago when the euro was coming out and they were issuing a 500 euro note. And I was dimly aware of some things that had been written about hundred dollar bills and how many there were. Uh, and how nobody knew where any of them were and so it it uh, I, I wrote a piece that really I think was the first one to look at the international dimensions of the issue and I must say one of the things I found is that there's nothing special about the dollar when it comes to this you find that in virtually every country uh, there's Uh, much more cash outstanding than any central bank knows where it is or anyone. And it's almost all in large denomination notes. Uh, I wrote about that a little bit from time to time, but I think what sort of crystallized my thinking to write a book about it was maybe 15 years later, even a little more than that, um, we started to see the issue of interest rates going to zero and cash, is a bit of a constraint on that because if the central bank tries to push interest rates below zero, people will just hold cash, and obviously the rise of digital currencies as as an alternative, not just to you know not just to physical currency, but to U.S. government-backed currency. And so uh, I started writing this book, which. I had to learn a lot more than I expected. I would have to learn those <laughs> things. I thought I would know everything, and you sit down and realize you know nothing. And it's a, a very interesting journey. And j- just one final thing: I I wish I had titled it "The Past, Present, and Future of Currency," because from the title, I got so much hate mail. Uh, you know, people who didn't read it but just knew they didn't like it without reading it. Uh, and it was. It was supposed to be a play on my first book's t- my first article's title, was uh, had something about large denomination notes, blessing or curse. Anyway, it was a, it was a mistake. I think I, I literally got over twenty death threats in the early oh, period. Happens, the uh, Lord, from uh, people who felt uh, cash served their business.
0: Were they mostly criminals? <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, basically, yeah, so a certain amount of credibility
1: to it my was uh, the my professor colleague across the
0: law was wondering if he should move his office <laughs> well, why why do you think or you, you know at the time of the the writing of the book that you know now is is is, is the time to start phasing out cash is is the is the primary concern? negative interest rates the or the fact that we have uh cryptocurrencies and, and other alternatives or is it is it something different i mean it 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 did seem you know you know at the zero lower bound like yeah the the cash is is becoming a problem so what was what was i guess the main driver was it you know sort of a, a all of these coming together well Certainly what I started out on this journey was the
1: realization from many studies, my own work, work at the Federal Reserve, uh, but work done uh, also by other economists that and, and survey data, that an awful lot of cash was being used in what we call the underground economy, which is not all bad. Uh, I, I certainly don't want to live in a world where the government controls every aspect of your life. but the underground economy is very big and and if you're, even in the United States which is actually you know law-abiding when it comes to paying taxes, believe it or not, uh, pro- tax evasion uh, I, I in my book I give it on the order of 500 billion the commissioner of the uh, IRS has now recently said, it's more like a trillion uh, wow. not being paid. And that's that's a big percentage of total taxes. And uh, you know a, a good part of that's from cash businesses. It's not illegal activities, a part of it, but a lot of it is tax evasion. And people would say, well, I don't like taxes, so that's good. But of course, if uh, some people aren't paying taxes, other people have to pay more taxes. And I, I just felt uh, I didn't. I don't actually want to get rid of cash. I want to recalibrate it. It's exploding. Right. I mean, we'll come to it. But there are more than six thousand dollars outstanding for every man, woman, and child in the United States. I, even if two thirds of that is abroad, which I think is the uh, uh, way upper bound estimate, that still leaves a couple thousand, you know, per person, and most countries have. A few thousand per person that they can't account for, and uh, you know I'm all for somebody being able to buy something for a couple thousand dollars that nobody knows anything about. But should you be able to buy a house uh, and about where the money come from? Should you be able to buy you know a bunch of cars? And a lot, it's very clear that a lot of cash is used that way all over the world and it's it's a complicated issue but i feel like it's gotten out of hand and so should be recalibrated but obviously uh the interest rates was a piece of this because having uh, particularly the large notes which makes it easy to store cash it's in the way of monetary policy it's really in the way all over the world and lastly uh the rise of digital currencies is and and other things having to do with uh character recognition, new technologies is making everyone rethink paper currency anyway. I try I wanted to think about all of these things in a historical context and uh, you know it's it, it was quite, as I say, it was quite an interesting adventure. there I realized there were so many things in the plumbing of how money works that I didn't understand that economists don't study enough. right.
0: Well, what's, what's interesting to me and you, you touched on this a little while ago is that you know the, the, here in the in the states the, the Treasury can't even tell us who holds the, the majority of large denomination bills. I mean you know for some reason they see uh, the gr- growing demand year over year for cash and they see that as a good thing and and, and aren't really concerned with where it's going or how it's being used. Because you know, if they look at the data which you you know provide in the book, they would realize that um, the, the the large notes which make up a a majority of each issue, yeah, more are, than eighty percent, yeah, are, are 100, not
1: just hundred dollar bills are more than
0: eighty percent of the cash outstanding, right? And 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 they're not being directed towards legal uses by you know the general population. I mean, you know, it's it's very rare that anyone has, you know, a hundred dollar bill in their, in their wallet at any time. So I guess my, well, at least the average person. So I guess my question is, where is the cash going? And, you know, are Americans the ones that are demanding paper currency or is it, you know, foreigners? So the, there is a question
1: of how much of it is abroad and the dollar is a bit unique, but one of the things, a point I made 25 years ago, is even if you think half of it's a half of it's abroad, if you think half of it's abroad, that means that cash is held a lot less by Americans than in other countries. And who believes that? Uh, I, I don't think we should be so different than Canada or England uh, or Germany in how much cash we hold. But uh, you know, I, since I wrote the book. Uh, per, this particular question you're asking, well, certainly I got letters also from law enforcement authorities saying you have no idea how severe this is. <laughs> Every time we go with drug bust, the walls are lined with you know hundred dollar bills. Because right, actually, if you're if you uh, if you have say several million dollars, just several million dollars, it's actually quite hard hard to hide it. And you can say, well, you know, it doesn't take up such a big space. If I have it in 20s, I can fit it in a room. You know, you're not able to spend it right away if you've avoided taxes or gotten it illegally. It's got to be sitting around a long time. But, you know, if people come through the house and relatives or children or whatever, uh, it's it's very convenient to be able to hide it. Another form of reaction I got was uh, people saying, well, what do you mean nobody uses it? Uh, I use it to to pay my trainer. I pay them at hundred dollar bills. I said, okay, that, that's <laughs> good, and that's nice. Do, do you report taxes on these transactions? And they go, well, no. And I the funniest one was uh, a, a doctor I, I knew who you know came to me and said, you know, um, my my mom and dad ran this furniture supply business, and I noticed how they never went to an ATM in my life. I never thought of going go to an ATM. And they always seem to have lots of cash and I never thought of it. Do you think they weren't paying taxes? <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, again, it's a balance. Uh, do, do we want a, the government to reach in our pockets and take out everything? And my book tries to suggest some ways to calibrate this. So that you're getting the wholesale tax evasion, the big players, and I don't just mean billionaires, millionaires too. Uh, the big players in this, the businesses which just aren't paying taxes, and leave it that the smaller businesses and smaller players don't get hurt so much. So that that's why the my approach uh, that I recommended was that uh, really from 25 years ago was just why don't we cut out the big bills, see what happens. If it just turns out people want five twenties for every 100 they had, then no harm done, really. The printing cost is about zero. And uh, if that does cut back, and I think it would, as does the IRS and law enforcement authorities, then maybe 15 or 20, uh, and by the way, you do that very slowly because it's, for lots of reasons, it's very disruptive to do it quickly. And I suggest five to seven years. And if it's successful, you know, take another 15 or 20, get rid of the $20 bills. And, okay, by the end of the century, I am getting rid of paper currency and having just coins. Um, but, uh, you know, we you, you certainly see how it see we would see how it goes. I, I don't think anything, doing these things abruptly is crazy, uh, like they did in India, by the way. Uh, that uh, they they took away all the large notes overnight. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it, it didn't really lead to them capturing anybody because it was so disruptive. They had to basically just close their eyes and take money from anyone who brought it to them to repatriate. They, they allowed people to exchange it, but it had to be done really quickly. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, of course, this also led into cryptocurrencies and digital currencies where, You know, people would say, well, I agree with you, but you're addressing yesterday's problem, not tomorrow's problem. And
0: so it's it's still a very
1: active, interesting area. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you you note in the book that the the majority of cash transactions are under $10 and, and, and that makes sense. So why then is, you know, the treasury printing, $100 hundred dollar notes and why, you know, is eighty percent of each issue in in hundred dollar notes if if the majority of the the cash needs are under ten dollars. Well
1: I actually think the line of argument I started 25 years ago and the Treasury actually almost immediately had a task force on the site learned that from Larry Summers, who was the number two at the Treasury at the time. They were thinking of printing a larger note, two hundred dollar notes and five hundred dollar notes, and they haven't. And we've had some inflation; the value of a hundred has gone down, so they're, you know, they pulled back a little bit. Uh, I, th- I think there are a few reasons that they're reluctant. I've presented this work at the Treasury for sure. One reason is simply it's just not worth tackling, and there are so many problems they don't want to rock the boat. Another reasons there's a lobby group. It's I think only a few percent of Americans are holding a hundred dollar bill at any point in time, at least that they'll admit to. Right. Uh, and maybe a third of Americans have guns. You know, just by comparison, but the cash lobby group is very vocal and influential and powerful. So they're just you know they're 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 very effective. Uh, I'd say another reason, and this is with the United States in particular, is they're afraid that if they did something with the dollar bills, it would somehow rock the boat on the dollar more broadly. My book's about the whole world, so it's not advice to the United States or other countries. But one of the things they say that's just wrong is that this is making us a lot of money. We're getting free money by getting the you know people to hold these hundred dollar bills. Well, not in a world where interest rates are zero anyway. I mean, if we took it's about two trillion dollars in cash, we have outstanding and currency, hard currency, uh, counting what's inside banks and ATMs. If we converted that all to short-term treasury bills, it'd all be paying zero too. Yeah. There, there's no gain right now, and there's probably not a gain into the foreseeable future, what you are doing, I think, is facilitating tax evasion and crime. And so that but they make this argument that it's just free money. Of course, if interest rates went to 10%, well, you'd be making a lot of money if they held the $10 trillion, $2 trillion. But they wouldn't. The interest rates, a big variable that explains falling interest rates, rising cash demand, and the, a lot of that cash would get turned back to the Fed. If the Fed didn't soak it up, we'd get you know inflation to wazoo. So, uh, but anyway, there's it, there's a lot of complacency over, over the system, and uh, you know I do think it'll change. But you know at the moment they're just sort of willing. To, it it ha- it has had an impact that they have rejected plans to print larger notes. Well, that's good. Which, by the way, we had in the distant past.
0: Right, in right.
1: Distant past, we had larger notes, which Nixon got rid of. By the way,
0: right. Well, you you started to touch on it, so let's let's talk a little bit more about seniorage, the the the, the profit uh, governments make from from printing physical currency. Do you, do you think that that they're hesitant to start phasing out cash because? Of the profits that they make each each year, I mean, to me it it seems if revenue is the primary concern, uh, governments would be wise to phase out cash because every transaction would be easier to track and tax revenues would, would go up. So you know, I, I guess I guess the key question would be if, say, the the U.S. Um, started to phase out cash, would the additional tax revenue from, you know, a, a, a cashless society or having, you know, no hundred dollar bills in circulation, would would those revenues be greater than the profits the the government gives up from not printing those notes? You know, in essence, would would getting rid of cash uh, be a, a, a revenue positive? endeavor for for governments. So, th- so that's a very well-framed question. It's a
1: very important question and something I handled centrally in my book and 25 years ago. And I think the answer is overwhelmingly yes. Uh, I think if you could cut back on tax evasion by certainly five percent, i not even talking about crime and the costs of containing crime by making it a little harder to use cash, then uh, you would you would get much more revenue from that. I mean, uh, say we, in, in in a banner year, print a hundred billion dollars, a hundred billion dollars, uh, you know, you're also, you're forfeiting uh, something c- close to that if you can scale back tax evasion. I, I'm not even counting state and local. But let's be clear, what I was saying, maybe it's a little uh, abstract, they're not making money right now by printing money because they could be run you, they're able to run a deficit and print cash to pay for it. But treasury bills also pay zero and they're more traceable. Much, I mean, they're they're we don't really know how much China holds because they use fronts to buy the treasury bills and to sell them. But we have a heck of a lot more ways of tracing it than and things they do with cash. So that the the, the senior edge is a very abstract concept. I'm not sure how familiar your audience is with it. There's actually a couple different ways to think about it. But maybe the crispness in this is suppose you had to borrow the money instead of printing the money, how much better off would you be? And that's why I'm emphasizing the interest rates. And even the average interest rate the US pays on all its debt, not just its short-term debt now, is well under 2%. Call it 2%. That's a high number then they would be getting 2 trillion, 2% of 2 trillions, about 40 billion, 40 billion a year savings by having uh, currency floating around. And that's all, That's if you got rid of all currency, not just hundred dollar bills. And uh, I, I think the costs that cash, co- the, the problems that cash causes far, far exceed that, just in tax evasion, just on that alone. And then we're you know, not talking about human trafficking, drugs, terrorism, and uh, even cryptocurrency, which is another way of doing similar things, often involves cash. Many, many things involve cash. Even when you read about some of these offshore Bermuda, Panama stuff, there's a lot of cash involved in transporting the money out there because they want to do it you know, secretly. So I, I, I I'm puzzled that they allow the lobby groups to oppose this so heavily, uh, but you know there it
0: is. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's let's move on to uh, negative interest rates because you know that was a that was a big part of your book and I think um, I think you and I are on the same page uh, with regard to negative interest rate policy. Um, you know, I I, I realize uh, that central bankers are quite keen on you know using forward guidance and and QE rather than taking the policy rate negative. But you know, I do think at at some point we will need to venture into negative interest rate territory. I've called for it in the past, and you know, you say in your book that no one should seriously think QE is an all-purpose substitute for. Conventional interest rate policy, and 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 I think I think that's that's very true. You know, there were there were a few studies that um, that came out after two thousand and eight that showed at the height of the crisis, um, the the Fed's reaction function, assuming uh, the possibility of negative interest rates, that uh, the the policy rate should have been reduced to negative four or five percent. Yes, and and you know some some countries did. Inter-negative rate territory. I think Sweden, uh, Switzerland, Denmark, um, and 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 Japan, but Eurozone. Yeah, but they but they sort of just tiptoed in, not really going right. you know, below fifty or seventy five basis points. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that was probably because you know nobody really knew how in, in investors would react to negative rates. So uh, my question is, do you think that central bankers should seriously consider negative rates um, because they've been sort of you know really you know hesitant especially at the fed hesitant to doing that and you know if if so do we have to deal with the cash issue before central banks can go deep into negative rate territory like five or six percent yeah, I mean,
1: just so people aren't overly alarmed, the idea is when you really have disaster strike and it would be appropriate to massively cut interest rates, it's a, a market-based way that the Fed can react uh, very quickly. And I think it would be a very valuable tool to have. It's not that it would be 5 to 6% just for the rest of your life. And I also just want to say, In principle, it drives the long end of the curve up because you're creating this demand that would reduce the length of the recession, create inflation in the long run. So um, you do have to deal with cash. And uh, eventually if they shift to digital central bank currencies, and China already has very much made this point, well then it would be easy to have negative interest rates cuz there'd be nowhere to hide basically right. you 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 couldn't you couldn't uh store cash there are, there are other ways to do it uh i think you know simply getting rid of large notes would let you push rates lower you're not you're really just trying to stop somebody from storing 10 billion dollars you're not caring about someone wanting to store 100,000 dollars at and even a lot of people storing $100,000. That's not the danger here, if you look at the, the math and look at the numbers. And uh, it, there are lots of ways. So first of all, getting large notes would be a way of doing it. And I think there are other regulatory ways, making it difficult to get insurance, uh, You know, ha- having tough rate. If somebody's setting up a vault with $15 billion in cash, they're painting a target that law enforcement and our army has to protect. So, you know, there should be some heavy cost to having to do that. And they, they don't, I, I think it wouldn't be very hard to implement something. And then there are more, uh, there are more conceptual ways to do it, which uh, this is a little head spinning, but I talk about it in the book, of actually having an exchange rate between digital cash and, uh, paper currency that floats. Okay, I'm going to tell you that it works and it's a very interesting idea, but uh the we're not ready to explain it to the public yet. I mean, I think it's a that there are ways to do it. But uh I, I think there'd be sort of simpler ways to to prevent large scale hoarding of cash to make it more difficult. It's not not the two trillion that's there now. That's not what we're worried about it's the 26 trillion dollars in debt we have out there if you try to push all those rates to negative what if suddenly the, the demand for cash isn't two trillion dollars but 10 trillion dollars right uh, what do you do how do you stop that and if you stop to think about it it's probably not that hard with regulatory changes making insurance difficult uh if you want to request a billion dollars in cash, having to give a lot of reporting requirements on what you're doing with it, you're you're not you're not particularly interested in in, in having grandma not be able to store cash. And by the way, when we, I forgot to say, when we talk about negative interest rates, it would cost nothing to uh, insulate ninety nine percent of people from that. Just anything under $3,000 the Fed guarantees that you got a zero interest rate or better on uh, i i think you know we're in the pandemic and there's so many experiments going on that we're we nobody's really thinking about this right now but when we come out of the pandemic i have no idea where we'll be it's at least in the realm of possibility that things look eventually like where we started yeah there'll be you know our roaring 20s and everything but with our demographics and all of the impediments to innovation maybe we'll still have super low interest rates and maybe we'll still have crises and things happen and so i i think i think it would be very good to bring this to the table and for that reason i'm still
0: working on the topic right well, it, you know, it just we, we've seen how le- lethargic policymakers on the Hill have been in in, 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 in stimulating, you know, the U.S. economy uh, during during recession. And, and it's really, you know, put a lot of a lot of, you know, impetus and 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 responsibility on, on the Fed and, you know, do you think that because policymakers have become so lethargic in their fiscal responsibilities that 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 central bankers need to start you know paving the way right now for negative interest rates? Uh, because you know if you look at the Fed's uh, you know, toolkit, you know they have opened so many programs, so many facilities for COVID nineteen. Because they, you know, weren't willing to go into negative interest rate territory, and so I just I wonder if you know the the they're going to sort of stay on the same path of creating new facilities every crisis, or if they're actually going to come around to you know negative interest rates. So, you know, do you think that that's a possibility that they actually? you know will start looking into this or do you think that you know they're 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 just going to you know create new facilities at the zero lower bound you know going forever
1: well i mean clearly the pandemic is a different animal than the 2008 financial crisis or frankly the te- the collapse of the tech bubble in 2001 which was another time when we would have been good to have negative interest rates and the pandemic's just a different animal I don't completely understand it. Uh, I I think the reason that I would like monetary policy to have the flexibility to still be effective when interest rates get very low is that at least for the moment, we've been able to make monetary policy more technocratic. The problem with fiscal policy is that it's very difficult to calibrate it. You you listen to people like... uh, Paul Krugman draws an IS and LM curve, and it's like doing surgery. When Congress passes their laws, we needed exactly 1.39 trillion dollars, and then we're going to take it off after six months. But of course, that's not how fiscal policy works. It's very, very political. And uh, uh, you know what's happened this time is the fiscal authorities been very in f- fiscal. Policy has been very enthusiastic, especially in the United States.
0: Sure.
1: And uh, and well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I've I have no problem with using fiscal policy, but I think in certainly taking a, a masculating monetary policy, making it just do QE, and I don't know how many of the listeners know what that is, but it's really just rearranging the deck chairs uh, on the federal deficit. It's taking long term debt. And turning it into short-term debt something hardly anyone even most economists seems to understand that the treasury owns the federal reserve so there's no magic wand that the federal reserve can do that makes the debt less it's really just the feds issuing its debt substituting it for the treasury's debt right and so uh the the, the treasury could have issued one-week debt on its own without any help from the Federal Reserve. I mean, there are a few technical uh, banking issues, but it's very, very, very minor. So I, th- I think it would be good. I, I'm i a believer that central bank independence has been very helpful and very valuable. Uh, but I don't know when we're going to go back to a cycle where this is the debate. I mean, at the moment, the debates that the uh, re- the recession's going to end very big. It's happening in the US, and I suspect Europe will feel the same rebound as the vaccines come. I, there are many other issues. It's very complicated. But if there's this very powerful rebound, the, up, there's going to be a lot of upward pressure on inflation. Uh, Larry, My colleague Larry Summers has made that point. The central banks say, well, you don't have to worry about it. It's going to go away after a year
0: but of course we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, I think I think the problem now is is not not so much deflation as, as it is, you know, yeah. coming coming inflation. So it's, you know, we don't we don't really have to worry about negative interest rates now, but you know, going forward I think it's uh, something. Yeah, but, but you're right, but maybe just something
1: I should have said, but part of the reason central banks are being so careful not to tighten is they don't have a way of readjusting if they tighten a little too much, they don't have a way of backpedaling far enough. Right. So if, they, if we had the possibility of negative interest rates, they could afford to be a little more aggressive about raising interest rates if they need to, as inflation rises. So it, 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 it's definitely the fact that they can't cut interest rates below zero is part of what's making them so timid about even talking about raising interest rates at the moment. Right.
0: Well let's uh let's let's move on to crime for a bit. You know, we 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 touched on it a little bit, but you know, it it, it does seem that you know if we if if we want to crack down on fraud and you know tax evasion and you know drug kingpins, you know, we need to accept the fact that paper currency is, you know, as you put it in the book, a a zero interest rate anonymous bearer bond which which I love i mean that's that's so true and 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 if you you couple that with the data that show the the legal economy accounts for only a, a you know a modest fraction of all cash holdings it sure does seem like our government is directly aiding criminal activity so you know i, I think i think crime will continue whether cash is you know out there or not but it's sort of hard to imagine that you know phasing out large notes won't have some sort of impact on 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 crime reduction so are are there any studies that you know definitively you know show how much crime could be reduced if we started to phase out cash
1: well, there's not. I mean, the Rand Corporation did a study a long time ago that I uh, cited in my book t- uh, trying to estimate what percent of human trafficking, what percent of the drug business, uh, what percent of various criminal activities were cash, and they're big numbers, and they also tried to present estimates of the size of these, so this it's very, very hard uh, to, to uh, estimate. Uh, but... You know the costs of crime are phenomenal. So if you could, let's just say you got. If I could promise you that crime would go down five percent if we got rid of hundred dollar bills, and what would be the cost of that to anybody? I mean, most people never see them. So the it, it it's there are there are people who use them, but they could easily use something else. So, if you got rid of large notes, and it, you don't, you don't need to get rid of crime. I mean, we had crime going back forever before they even had coins. We right. had crime. So it's not like you're going to get rid of crime, but that's not, the, you know, what how an economist should think about it. It's more, can you cut into it a little bit? And again, um, it's it's just mind numbing that that doesn't carry more weight. We could put together some better facts if there were a national registry of law enforcement cash seizures, which I think are very frequent and substantial. And that would not be very difficult to do if, say, the Justice Department wanted to do that. I don't know if the the, the Treasury might be able to do it. it. Understand the data exists because any cash that's seized in any kind of bus, it has to be cataloged by the serial number. So we could put that data together. It'd be very interesting. Uh, Surely it wouldn't cost more than, say, a million dollars to get the data on this crime, which is draining us of tens, hundreds of billions of dollars every year. Uh, There are people who put forward proposals for
0: that study, but uh, the government hasn't wanted to do it. Yeah, seems seems like a pretty good investment to me. (laughs) Um, well, you know, since it's on everyone's minds these days, let's let's talk about digital currencies. Um, you know, how would phasing out cash affect the public's perception of crypto? Because right now, everybody's you know got a sort of a strong opinion for or against crypto. Um, so, you know, we I think our listeners want to know how 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 that would play out, and do you see? Uh, how do you see govern, governments navigating the, the digital currency space? You know, there was a, a recent announcement, uh, I think this week, that uh, the Fed is working on a paper, which will be released this summer, that that examines what a, what a digital dollar would look like. So d- do you think that there will be a digital dollar? Or do you think that, you know, there really isn't a need for one since, you know, most of, what takes place in the banking system is already digitized.
1: Well, I think there, of course, there'll be a digital dollar and the Fed's been a holdout on this. Every other central bank virtually said they're studying it. China issued, I think, a very cleverly designed beta version of their digital currency. They're many, many years ahead of us on this now. And it was inevitable that the Fed would. And uh, I, I think it would it, it would have a lot of good effects. Starting with, it would make it much easier to provide uh, universal financial inclusion than we have in our current system. We could do it anyway. Most countries provide universal financial inclusion in one way or the other, but it, it would be in, uh, more efficient. Uh, I, th- I think it's coming. There are a lot of innovations in the digital space. There are a lot of great ideas. One. Uh, top central banker once I asked, why don't you put regulations on Bitcoin? Uh, You know, aren't you concerned it'll be used for crime and tax evasion, but on a much larger scale than we have with cash. And the central banker said, well, for the moment, nobody seems to be using it for that in the United States. So they seem to be innovating and we'll just let them innovate and you know, when we want, we'll take it over. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually built my book, my 2016 books built on the idea that if you look at the history of all kinds of innovations and in payments from the first standardized coins in Lydia, which is in part of Turkey in the sixth century BC, King, that's where the richest Croatians comes from because he had figured out a way to mint money. Uh, going to Marco Polo when he realized that the grandson of Genghis Khan had figured out how to make a sort of paper currency. It was made of tree bark. In each case, the private sector figured this out first and then the government appropriated it. And you see that in many places. And of course, it's going to end up being the same in one form or another. I, I find it incredible that people in the cryptocurrency world think that the government can't, won't regulate this. I mean, this is $100 bills on steroids. Right. So it doesn't mean that there aren't good applications, there aren't things to be done, but the you have to be able to have at least the ability to audit it. Uh, I, I, you don't have to be able to see every transaction that but you, if the government wonders how you got such a nice car in front of your house when you're reporting that you're earning $25,000 a year, they need to have a way to check these things. Or at least uh, I, I think if, unless you want you know, much higher tax rates. I mean, there, there are people who think it would just be better if we had no government, but I think a lot of these libertarians still want that to be protected. They want an army. That's another discussion. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the government's going to move into this space, but they've let it go a long ways before moving. They're waiting and waiting. And I I think they've waited a long time. China's moved way ahead of us. The United States has been co-opted, I think, by lobby groups in this space. And I'm, I'm concerned that by the time they get around to sort of wanting to regulate it, it's going to be more costly than it would have been. But yeah, part of the reason for the digital currency is crypto, but it's also if the Chinese have a great digital currency and we don't, it definitely, not over the short term, but in our, over, you think of the next few decades, it it absolutely would have an effect on the dominance of
0: the dollar in the world. We can't let that happen. Right, right. Yeah, so they're just, it seems as though they're just letting the, the, the private sector innovate and uh, do all they can, and you know, once they put the digital dollar in place, I guess they're going to use a lot of the same formula. But um, do you think that if you know, when the when the digital dollar <coughs> arrives, that it will be the death of some of these other cryptocurrencies?
1: No, not right away, because the digital dollar is not going to use the same technology. It's not going to be pseudonymous, which means you almost can't figure out who it is without a lot of trouble and expense. The digital dollar will be some form where the Fed can see things just as if they were credit card transactions, maybe not easily, but that it can. It will compete with the Chinese version. It will compete with the British version, the Canadian version, the European version. But the cryptocurrencies is a different matter. And again, there's a many different types. I'm sort of Combining a lot of things into one, but the the real issue with the cryptocurrencies, the number one issue is that you can do things that the government can't trace. Let's look at these right. Right, ransomware attacks. Uh, you know, wouldn't it, it's certainly been facilitated by having Bitcoin. I, I think, by the way, the government can trace anything it wants, but it costs. it. Right now, it's just very very expensive to do. So if the Chinese attack us using uh, Bitcoin, you know, in some way, and we devote a lot of resources to it, we can figure it out. But if uh, lots of different people are doing lots of different crimes and tax evasion, we don't have a we don't have a way of doing that. So um, yeah, the the digital currency at least they'll pull away some people, but they've. The other really is a regulatory issue. It's not a simple one. I don't want to, I discuss this in, in, in the book. Uh, it's, not, it's not a simple one to do. In fact, you have to be pretty draconian and you need a fair amount of international coordination, uh, but you don't, you don't have to eliminate them, but you have to eliminate the crypto part of them. I, I don't know if you followed when Facebook tried to issue a coin And the government just, and and they're going to, but the government just couldn't look the other way anymore. Right. Well, this isn't a big deal. Nobody's going to use it for anything. And uh, it's gone through several rounds. But basically, Facebook's been more or less forced to retreat to something that looks more like PayPal than it looks like Bitcoin because the government just you know they can't allow Facebook to issue something. But what they're finding is these these other the zoology of cryptocurrencies is exploding. It's you know it, it varies it sure. the hour we're talking what the value is but you know, it reached over two trillion at one point. it's cut back a little bit and it I mean there's no upper limit to how how big it could get. And it, it, I want to say it is used, we know it's used in transactions in war-torn states, in many African countries, people use it to avoid taxes, to get money away from the government, just the way they use $100 bills. And uh, okay, that's a complicated question. Uh, but certainly if on the one hand, we're telling African governments they should spend a lot more on fighting the virus and fighting the pandemic and on the other hand we're saying no we're not going to help you raise taxes uh we're going to make it easy for people to avoid taxes in your country that is uh obviously not a very consistent message
0: yeah well let's 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 talk about your proposal for uh phasing out cash can you can you walk our listeners through you know your your long-term plan how you would do it and and, and how you would deal with those that are unbanked?
1: Yeah, they're they're kind of two separate questions and let me actually start with the unbanked. I think we should provide free uh, debit accounts to everybody we're not gonna fill them automatically, but you get the basic services for free. Most of the people who are unbanked are people who receive transfers from the government anyway. I estimate in my book, I mean, I take estimates from the literature in my book of the cost about $300 per person to provide free checking accounts. India did it for $5 per person. I just want to say, but, you know, we're the United States. We can't do it that way. Uh, They they have universal financial inclusion. Uh, Many countries force their banks basically to provide it. Japan has... Everyone can have a debit account, or 99.9% of people, and they tell the banks you're making a lot of money off having access to the central bank's balance sheet in lots of different ways. You have to do this. But we should provide we should provide universal financial inclusion, even if we're having $10,000 bills. We we should just do this. Uh, th- there are people who don't want to be financially included uh, because they don't want their ex-spouse to know their income, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I won't get into that, but we should make, we would, it would certainly change the, this discussion if we made it free. But on, on top of that, which we should do regardless, uh, I would just do it very slowly. There's a lot of precedent for phasing out bills. You should know that in most countries, bills have an expiration date and get have to be turned over. Most countries every 10 years, every 20 years, call in certain uh, bills, you have to go exchange them at the bank. So that's that's in the first instance, all we're doing here with the large denomination notes. And let's say we call in the hundreds and fifties and we'll give you twenties and tens and fives and ones. And uh, of course, um, I don't propose, doing, there's this thought we can seize all the drug lord's money. That's hopeless. They'll launder the money. Uh, but if you, if you try to do it really quickly, it causes chaos. And there'll be somebody who sort of doesn't have a radio in a farm in uh, Indiana somewhere. And you want to give them lots and lots and lots of time to be able to, uh, to do it. So I would do this first stage over a long time and see how it worked. Uh, see what happened. Uh, wait a few, maybe, as I said, another fifteen or twenty years, and see how this happened. I suspect it would work pretty well, and then we could move on to twenty dollar bills and uh, and so forth. And I, you know I, I have envisioned in the long run run going back to just heavy coins so that you can't carry millions of dollars so easily that may be completely irrelevant by the year
0: 2100
1: where the whole game is digital.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you say in the book that the, the, the U S government would need to to buy back uh, outstanding notes from, from a technical perspective, couldn't we just set a, a deadline for, for people to turn in your cash? I mean, you said a minute ago that there were, expiration dates on 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 currency and you know in other in other countries so couldn't you know we just say hey you have to turn in your cash by this date and then you know we would just credit your cash and I mean credit your account and then you know the central bank can destroy the cash And, and am I missing something why do we have why would the government need to to buy back the outstanding notes
1: yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's a that's a that's a reasonable point. Uh, I mean you could if the, the trouble is if you aren't able to sort of identify who had the notes because you give them a lot of time, then the trouble that they're creating persists. there it 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 definitely raises their cost of doing business and and frankly I uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, it raises their cost of doing business, and it's a good reason uh, to do that. It's a little complicated for the United States, in particular, because so much cash is held abroad. But it, it is something we could do. Uh, we could do in, in, in principle, but it, it wouldn't be as useful as making it difficult to use the large notes. But it would it would definitely add an extra business cost to people who. Know wanted to hold on to the notes for a really long time, uh, so I, yeah, I think I think that's a good idea.
0: So, um, what are what are some of the long term impacts of your proposal? You know, would would this in any way, you know, threaten the dollar standing as the world's reserve currency? Would it? You know, how would it affect monetary policy? You know, what what are some of the long term cost benefits of this? I don't
1: think it would have any effect in the rich parts of the world. It would just not have a big effect. Of course, it would have an effect in uh, poor developing economies where the dollar, cash dollars are used a lot. Now, I don't know that we support want to support the ways they are being used in these countries, right. civil conflict, uh, arms purchases, human trafficking, uh, but they're one of the uh, uh, one of the concerns is we could lose that business to the euro or the Chinese. But what I argue is, so what? I mean, first of all, I think largely it's it's unsavory, even if we can't see it, and also we're just the cash held locally is enough of a problem in the crime and the tax evasion that even if we lose the revenue that we're getting from the rest of the world. Uh, so what, uh, it's not, you know, big deal to give up. If China wants to move in and, uh, take over that business, uh, I don't, I think our, our own gain would still way outweigh
0: not having it. Right. So would, would a, I would imagine a, a phase out of, of larger nodes would you know, uh, require some sort of global coordination. Are, are, are there any things? Are there things that we need to be cognizant of when we? When, no, I, I don't. No, I don't think it would. Uh,
1: you know, in fact, the Europeans sort of voluntarily are scaling back their 500 euro, and there's nothing stopping other countries from printing even bigger bills. We haven't needed coordination on that because I think it's dawned on everybody that it's probably a mixed bag having these so much cash and big notes, but there's so many problems going on the financial crisis, the pandemic, uh, inequality that they just haven't wanted to confront it. But no, I I don't think it would require global coordination. Uh, I I suspect we'll see a number of countries go in this direction. Uh, But, you know, as I said, the immediate impact has been that the, the value of the largest notes in most countries has diminished over the last 20 years. Inflation has been low, but it's, n- it's not been zero. I mean, it's been 2% in the United States. That adds up over 20 years. And so I think a, lo- a lot of countries may be figuring, well, you know, we're just going to let that happen instead. Uh, that is a plan, but it's very expensive to the extent that cash is being used for tax evasion and crime. And again, we're not going to eliminate these things, but if you can cut them back a few percent, I mean, it it's, uh, seems like it would be a good idea. Maybe not you know, change the world, but uh, something that would be useful. The negative interest rates is something that could change the world. And that's a much, or central bank digital currencies that I also look at in my book. Uh, but there, it, it, it's funny how economists don't want to talk about plumbing, like it's boring. You know, right. it just it's not as exciting as talking about let's have a ten def, percent deficit, and yet it causes these things cause us to bleed every
0: year. Well, professor, thank you, thank you so much for for joining us today. I, I know our listeners and I have have learned uh, so much from you, and we we thank you for taking the time out of your your busy schedule to join us.
1: Thank you uh, very much uh, for having me, and uh, I actually hadn't realized you'd been a proponent of negative interest rates, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad uh, to, hear, to hear that.
0: Well, that's it for us here at The Demand Side. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Do We Still Need Cash? with our very special guest, Kenneth Rogoff. Make sure to check out all the episodes of The Demand Side on The Demand Side's landing page, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to visit TheDemandSide.com for access to opinion pieces, books, news, and videos. Thank you all for joining us today. And remember, if you're forced to choose sides, always choose the demand side. Until next time.